Morning. Morning. Welcome all of you to our 1030 service on this beautiful final Sunday of June. We have been spending this month, if you've been here these last three weeks, in a message series titled Better Together, as that um, video said, really talking about discipling, the discipleship work with students and kids, okay? What is the, how do we do that? Why is it so important, perhaps all the more in our day? So I want to begin, this is the final message, and let me tip my hand where we're going to end in a very short time, in a time of prayer, and I really want to encourage you, so I'm sort of planting a seed right here and right now, as we were just praying, of course, for uh, Ralph and Gina, but I want to pray for um, the church, but really for, uh, take a moment to pray for a couple people, moms and dads in this room who are doing perhaps some of the most important work, church work you can do, which is discipling your kids, especially your kids who may be still um, school age, even all the way through high school. Maybe you're a partner, you're someone who's, does, uh, you're a small group leader, you're a coach, you're a friend, you're a mentor, you're, you're you know, a close relative that, that, that spends time, doesn't have to be a, a church uh, role, but if you are one, we want to pray for you. So we're going to give you some time, just a few minutes uh, at the end of this service to come and receive prayer from some of our leaders and staff, so I want to say that. Um, but what is family ministry? What have you been talking about? Those terms. What do those terms even mean? Quick definition, which I'm borrowing from a guy named Reggie Joyner. Most of you wouldn't know him. Maybe parents would. But he's a guy who's written a lot about families in uh, the church. He said this. What is family ministry? It's an effort to synchronize church leaders and parents around a plan to build faith and character in their sons and daughters. Okay, That's all it is. It's, it's, it's a plan to do our best, you know, leaders, parents, whether you're a, you know, in all kinds of families, it's not just, you know, single moms, single dads, whatever the case may be, working together to do our best to incul, uh, uh, impart the faith to um, sons and daughters. Now, as a series, we've been doing this in four ways. This is the fourth of four um, sermons. Let me just tell you how, how we've outlined this plan. Just as a quick recap on where we've been for the last month. The first series, first message was on the church. The church needs to be on mission. Forget about kids for a minute. Forget about families. You know, if, if the church of Jesus Christ, let's say this particular expression, Browncroft, we need to do everything we can to actually be true to the gospel. To be, to be a, if, if we are not a church that's not committed to the gospel, committed to not messing with the gospel, adding things to it, taking things away, getting distracted, being committed to sharing the love and grace of Jesus day in and day out as a church, be a, site, a, a, a city on a hill, you know, a salt in light. If we're not doing that, we're, we're, we're going to fail. So number one is, this was a challenge really to, to leadership, to all of us, let's continue to be all the more a church on mission. Second message was our parents are key. Parents, no, no parent is perfect. No parent's on their own ever. They shouldn't be in a church setting. We'll get to that in a minute. But when you're between your kids are you know, toddlers till the time they're in high school, it sounds like a long time, but it goes by quickly. The most important discipler for your kids far and away is parents. It's a hard job. Uh, and maybe harder all the more. So parents are key, and church should help parents as best they can. Third, Aaron talked about last week, Aaron McGinnis, our student minister, about the importance of students. I'm talking about junior and senior high students. 
They should not be seen in this church or any church, for that matter, as just sort of, you know, we're, we're, they're passing through. They're just sort of in the back room somewhere. They're on their way to being Christian or disciples. No, they need to be seen while they are students as, as you know, emerging adults. They should be part and parcel of everything the church does. How are we going to help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus to emerge into adulthood if they're not practicing it now? That was last Sunday. In this morning, the message is about every member has a role, right? Some people think, well, I don't have kids, so I'm out. I'm not married, I'm out. My kids are grown, I'm out. No, no, we all need to have a role of a kind, or you can play a role in the life of a student in this church, even if you, don't, you didn't grow up with them, they're not related to you, and you might not even have kids, it doesn't matter. We all have a role. That's my focus this morning in a message titled, A Family Church. A Family Church. If you have a copy of the scriptures, a few verses in the end of Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, follow along as I read these words. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, brothers, excuse me, mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now, who is that talking about? We don't have a lot of this in the Bible. Jesus had a family that is half brothers and sisters, the children of Joseph and Mary. Someone told him, right, he's in, he's in a packed house doing, having a church meeting of a kind. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Right? Jesus was, you know, part of the community. He replied to them, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, sitting on the floor of this house, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What an interesting thing to say. Let me start, start by saying this. This little episode, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon, I don't, I don't know that I had, have, this little episode appears in three of the four Gospels. Now think about that. Why is it here? You know there's a lot of things that are only in one of the Gospels. This story, that story, this account, this miracle. Some things never made it into the Bible at all. John chapter 20. Many other things Jesus did and said are not recorded in these books because if they were, hyperbole, maybe John says, if we recorded everything Jesus did and said, even in these three years, the world couldn't contain the books. So the stuff that's in here under the inspiration of God is here for a reason. So this little account, Jesus and his family, so to speak, outside this house, is in all three Gospels. Why is it here? I don't think it takes a tremendous imagination to ask yourself, why is this little story here? What's it about? It's about the church that Jesus Christ has come to start. That's why he came. He said almost the first words out of his mouth in, in, in this gospel, Matthew chapter 5. Listen, you know, you are the light of the world. This is what we talked about three weeks ago. You are the salt of the earth. As crazy as that sounds, that's why I've come to start a church. And he wants to say to his disciples before this thing becomes really big news, before a lot of persecution happens, before the world is turned upside down, let me give you in just a few verses. This isn't there. You don't have to be a, a rocket scientist. You don't have to go to seminary. Let me tell you what the church is. Okay? To become a Christian is to join a new family. That's what he's saying. Right? 
Jesus, your mother and your brothers, your family's here. Jesus says, okay, I got a moment to say something. He looks down. They all want to know what he's going to say. He's going to say, oh, thank you. I got a meeting over. I got to go talk to my mother. Okay? He says, who is my mother? Now, he's not dismissing his blood family. He's making a point. Making a point. To become a Christian is to join a new family. Whenever the gospel is received, think about your own story, your own testimony. Families are divided. Now, everybody's story is different, okay? Everybody's story is different. But in the early church, this is when Jesus is trying to make an impression on, on these men and women, okay? In the early church, virtually everybody who became a Christian, maybe not so much as today, everyone had a, a conflict with their family, okay? The, it, wasn't, it wasn't fashionable. It wasn't, it wasn't historical. It didn't make, there was no precedent for becoming a Christian, right? In this country, even if your family thought you were a little odd or you're, you're a Jesus freak or whatever, Christianity has been around since the founding of this country. Here, it was all brand new. And either you were Jewish, okay, or you were a, a, a sort of an idol worshiper. That was it. Those are the only religions out there. And all of a sudden, people, individuals, one, two, three, four, five, hundreds, people came home one day and said, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus. Who's that? The guy that was crucified on a cross, he's the Messiah or he's God's son, okay? And people were, you see this in the New Testament, in the Jewish community, they were kicked out of the synagogue immediately. And to be kicked out of the synagogue may mean little to you or me, but it meant everything if you lived in the first century. It meant you had no more, your community was essentially cutting you off, like you joined a cult. When the gospel is received, it divides families. You know, it still does it. I remember when I became a Christian, it was a long time ago, I was a college student. All of my siblings were sort of college age. I can still remember. I became a Christian. I rem- not everyone doesn't remember. For me, it was in the month of September, right when I was a freshman in college. And when, Chris- when you get home for Christmas, every- everyone's coming home, you know, the, the college reunion. And it was-, it was a very interesting experience, okay? Because in many ways, this isn't true everybody, but my life had dramatically changed, Okay? Now, you don't change overnight. I'm still changing, right? All of sin and comes short of the glory of God. We don't change overnight in our lives. Our whole life is a, a, an experience of change. But my life changed a lot, even in, in ways that I think I might even looked a little different. I mean, maybe I got a haircut. I don't know. But the point is, my life was different. One thing I remember, the church that I became a Christian in, um, they gave me as a little gift when I came as a gift, like a first-time visitor. It was a, pla- or a, 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 um, a little framed scripture verse. Just this big. To me, it meant the world. And I remember hanging that up in my, my shared bedroom. And one of my family members come home going, what in God's name has happened to you? Okay? What is this? Okay? And the gospel is received. Jesus is trying to make a point here. Families are divided. And those that were cut off, Jesus is saying, you now belong to a new family. And the resources of this family, think hard about your own life. The resources of this family, you have resources to overcome things you could not overcome before you became a Christian, to overcome bitterness, to overcome jealousy, to overcome offense, the thing that really ruins families. It's amazing how many people I talk to who say, I don't talk to my brother, I don't talk to my sister, I don't talk to my sister-in-law, you know what I mean? It happens all the time. There's a lot of reasons for that, we all know that, but as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you should have new resources to do things that you could not do before, right? The main point of this account is even Jesus, okay? 
Sometimes we think Jesus is just up there and he's, he's in a special category. He is in many ways, of course, but that he didn't live a real life with a real zip code and real troubles and real problems and real hang-ups and real dis- disappointments. He did. Even Jesus has a new spiritual family that takes priority, you might say, over even his blood family. That's what he's saying. You say, that offends me. Well, then let it sit there and offend you just for a minute. That's what Jesus is saying. Imagine you're there. Maybe you heard this through the, through, the, through the creak in the door. Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Yes? Those who do the will of God. That's my family. Now, was Jesus dismissing his family? You know that people talk about using the scripture, cherry picking it. Some people say, well, I don't really like my family anyway. That's a great verse, you know. I've never liked them, you know. So goodbye, you know, mom, dad, and brothers who I don't like. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. It's a comparative statement. Jesus took his family very, very seriously. He took his commitments to himself very seriously. And I would even say this about myself. I would like to think that although I I have entered a new family in many, many ways as a Christian, um, I would like to think I love my family and my siblings and I'm a better brother and, 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 and son and than I was and brother-in-law than I was um, even before. I think I hope I'm a better family member. So that and, and you know what Jesus did? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus wasn't dismissing his family. How do I know that? On the cross. You think you got other things going on in your mind when you're agonizing on the cross? You know what Jesus did on the cross? He looked down to his mother Mary and he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, to John the Apostle, behold your mother. In other words, I take my responsibility to my parents very seriously. I actually can't keep my responsibility. Most kids are not supposed to die before their parents, but this one did, and he said, would you take care of my mother for me? So he took it very seriously. What Jesus was doing, he wasn't dismissing his family. He was putting into practice what he had taught his disciples earlier. John 10, 30, or Matthew 10, 37, two chapters earlier. Listen carefully. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying don't love your family. Love them all the more. He's saying, listen, if you truly want to experience the Christian life, listen very carefully, for all that it was designed to be, Jesus Christ needs to be the Lord of your life. And if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, Look no further for why this Christianity has lost its shine, why you decided not to go to church anymore. You know, there's many people who have left the church, not just students, but many people who have left the church, I think, because they never really were experiencing the true life to begin with. This is what Jesus is saying. This isn't an ego statement like God has a small ego. Unless you love me more than everyone else, I don't want anything to do with you. He's saying, listen, unless you experience my love, It's give and take. Unless my love captures your imagination and changes your heart and opens up your mind and your heart in a way that no other, even the most wonderful woman or man can do, your husband or wife can do, my love is far more captivating than anyone else's love. Unless that love captivates your heart and releases you, you'll never understand what the Christian life is all about. That's what he's saying. He's saying that for your good and for my good, okay? I had the opportunity, I first became a pastor um, here, I'd been in the ministry, but the first time I became a senior pastor was here, Browncroft Community Church. And um, thank you for giving me the job. Anyway, uh, uh, um, I had the opportunity to sit down with a hero of mine. Many of you wouldn't know this name. 
Um, he's still alive and well, but it's, if you're not in the business I'm in, you may not know it. His name is Gordon McDonald. He was the pastor of a big church in Boston for many, many years. He's written a number of books. He was the head of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, still in ministry today as a great writer and thinker. But I had the opportunity through a friend of mine to have lunch with him, breakfast with him. And it was, it was a great honor. And I said to him, you know, I'm just starting here. I said, Gordon, if you were, st- if you were starting a church or starting to be a pastor for the first time now in the early 2000s, would you do anything different? He goes, yes, I would. I go, what? And he goes, when I started my ministry, 1980-ish, the most important thing to me was what people believed. Did they know the Bible? Did they understand their faith? Did they know the word of God? Did they, everything I wanted to do and organize my church was helping under, help encourage people to know what they believe? And he says, Rob, that's still important. But he said, before people can believe, they need to belong. I wish I would have known that. And he said, all the more in a day where the family is fracturing, and that was 20-something years ago. He's saying, listen, they, people need to know their love. They need to know their life matters. They need, to be, they need to know they have something important to do. Jesus says, listen, you become a Christian, you join a new family. Have you joined one? Really? And second, every member in this new family has an important role to play. This is what I'm talking about now, right? Every member has an important role to play. The concept of the church in the New Testament was never meant simply to be something that you or your children attend. It's a vibrant community of people who share a common trust, and I want to help each other, watch this, to know and do the will of God. Know and do it, right? You, You and I not only need a community that helps your child, in this case, speaking of students and child, to actually um, uh, to, to, to know something, to learn something, to get some, to, to be, you know, a catechesis, you know, to be discipled in the word. That's important. We need a community that asks for kids to give them something that requires something of them. If you allow, if we allow our kids and students to get all the way to the Eighth, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the 12th grade, and never give them something important to do, all we're doing is trying to feed them with information or keep the mud off their shoes. Those are both good things. But do not give them something important to do. The likelihood that they're going to stay in the church is low. Okay? Every member has an important role to play, and it's simply helping people know, verse Jesus, verse 50, know and do the will of God. Okay? I read a study in preparation for this work from Lifeway. Uh, if you know Lifeway, the organization, some of you would know this, some of you wouldn't, but it's a, one of the biggest public houses in America. They also do research for, for Christian work, and they did one on teenagers, specifically, I should say, young adults that were teenagers and came out of the church. And this is what they said in the, the sum of this study, was that those teenagers, I should say now young adults, college students, who had at least five significant voices in their life, that is, three beyond mom and dad, if they grew up in a Christian household, so that had five people, not all in one year, but let's say between the time they were in elementary school or toddlers till the time they were in high school, they say, listen, as I look back on my life, if they were Christian parents, they said, mom was in my life, dad was in my life, important influences. But in addition to mom and dad or mom or dad, single parent, whatever the case may be, 
I had three other people, so-and-so when I was in junior high, so-and-so when I was in senior, whatever, this coach, right, whatever the case may be, that were influential in, in terms of their walk with Jesus, okay, those students stayed in the faith and even in the church, okay, by a margin of 46 to 28%. In other words, those students were twice as likely as young adults when they moved, went to college, to, to continue to practice the Christian faith, to grow in the Christian faith, and to be in a service like the one we're in here if they had people besides their mom and dad, especially in those important seasons. Most of us can remember, think about your life, people who showed up at the right time who became a needed voice to give you direction. I could speak for two hours, three hours about people in my life. Oh my goodness. My dad, God love him, dropped dead when I was four months old. What a good start, okay? But I look through the people. Some of those people were in my life for years. Some of those people were in my life for a season, maybe a semester, Maybe even a short, maybe a, you know, something shorter than that. But God put people in my life. Most of us, if you think about it, can think about people who showed up at the right time to become a needed voice to give you direction. Let me give you one quick story, photograph. Some of you know these people, some of you don't. Uh, Amy Vollmer is the adult in this picture. Been at this church many, many years, raised her uh, three children here. Uh, who are uh, not children anymore, and the uh, little girl is Abby Peglo, who's 11 years old. And uh, two, three weeks ago, there was the fifth grader, um, you know, uh, this, this um, move up Sunday kind of a thing where they, they have these moments of key transitions, you know, from X to Y, from preschool to kids, from, from, in this case, the fifth grade to the sixth grade, from junior high to senior high, from, you know, on and on. And this was a key transition. They have this gathering. It's a bunch of rising sixth graders. It's their parents, if they are available, and it's a small group leaders. And they get together, and it's, they try to make the most out of this transition. And it was found out there that Amy Vollmer, who's been doing this with elementary kids for years and years and years, was somehow encouraged against what she thought she would do. I'll go on and be a, what amounts to be a high school junior high leader. I care so much about my girls, even though I don't really want to get into the whole high school thing and all, the, all that comes along with doing junior high and senior high kids. I'm going to do it. And her mother, Katie Peglow, who I know, said these words. I instantly, she was at the event, had tears in my eyes to think that Abby, her 11-year-old daughter, would continue to have the same mentor investing more of herself into our daughter's life. And she interviewed her daughter, Katie Peglow, to her 11-year-old daughter. When you think about Mrs. V, what they call Amy, what comes to mind? Abby, she's a very kind, and she cares a lot about me. She's always been there for me. This girl's 11 years old. She's probably been in her life for the majority of those 11 years. Mom, what do you think about Mrs. V moving up with you and the other girls again? Abby, it will be nice to have someone we trust when we talk about the tough stuff. An 11-year-old. It will be nice to have someone beyond, I, I assume she means beyond you, Mom, beyond you, Dad, someone that we trust 
to talk about the tough stuff. I wish I even knew what tough stuff was when I was 11. I mean, my life was full of it, but I didn't know it. You know what Aaron said last week? If you were here, I encourage you to listen to the talk. Aaron McGinnis, our junior, our, our, our student minister, and he said, he read this, uh, some research, and he said, the, uh, the question, this is written by uh, another, not Reggie Joyner, but another uh, writer about student ministry, and she said, the question, they had all these surveys, used to be a generation or two ago, was, um, is the church cool? You know, I'm talking about students. Is it cool? Are the, are the environments cool? The music cool? In other words, are they cool? That's all we want to know. But they said, now they're asking students, They don't care about that anymore, according to this research. The question isn't, are you cool? You know, I'm the youth guy or the uh, youth lady. Are you cool? Can I trust you? That's the question. The number one question of, according to this research, of students today about church people or any people is, can I trust you? And here's an 11-year-old girl. It will be nice to have someone in addition to mom and dad, or dad or mom, when to talk about the tough stuff. I asked Amy Vollmer what her thoughts. She said this about this moment, her decision. Continuing on with my fifth grade girls will give me the opportunity to be present in their lives and partnership with their families and deepen their faith journey. I'm so grateful to the relationship my three daughters made here at Browncroft in the past and for the godly leaders they've had in their lives. I truly love each and every one of my students, people she didn't know, not related to, would have nothing otherwise to do with if she didn't meet them here in this environment. I love each and every one of my students and I hope I can lead by example through Christ and impact their lives for the glory of God. Plus they keep me young at heart. Think about that. You know, these, you know, if you backed up the tape you know, the Vulmers and the Peglos, they, they don't know each other. They're not buddies. They didn't, they're not cousins. They didn't have nothing to do with each other. But in the providence of God, because Amy, long time ago, follower of Jesus, I want to help people know and, and, and do the will of God. And the Peglos are smart enough to know, as great as they might be, as parents to say, we cannot do this on our own. It takes a village to raise someone in the faith. And I need help. And the more my kid moves from 5, 6, 7, 8 to 15, 16, 17, 18, I need even more help. Can you help me? Okay? This is what the church is about. So what Jesus is saying here, to become a Christian is to, be, is to join a new family. doesn't mean dismiss your family. It means you're joining a different one with different resources and different responsibilities. Are you in the game? Am I in the game? Second, every single person has a role to play. You say, well, I don't have kids. I never got married. I, my kids are, have kids of their own now. It doesn't matter. All right? Who is my brother? Who is my mother? Who is my sister? Who is my helper? He or she that wants to do the will of God. Get in the game. Who cares? You know? Um, what is your role? This is how this passage, and just think about it. The people standing outside, verse 46, you know who they are? The family of Jesus. And if you look carefully, you read the book of uh, uh, Matthew carefully, the word outside is always has a pretty much a negative connotation, right? You know, the, the, it, and it does here too. You say, oh, wow, you're just, pre- you're just being preacherish. 
But if you read the other accounts of in Mark and in Luke, there's some details that aren't added here. Here's one of them, Mark chapter 3. All here it just says, they knocked on the door, your family's here. You might think, oh, they just want to say hi, they're in the neighborhood, they brought some lemonade. But you know what Mark chapter 3 says? The family of Jesus came, which includes Mary and, and, and James and Jude. and these, They said, we've come to find Jesus because he is out of his mind. Our brother has lost his marbles. He thinks he's the Messiah. It's become a huge embarrassment to us, and we need to get him home as fast as possible. That's what Mark chapter 3 said. So Jesus, so the, it's interesting, the people standing outside in this little circle include Mary, who would become, note takers, Acts chapter 1, a great leader in the early church. It would include James, who wrote the book of the Bible, and Jude, who wrote a book of the Bible. In other words, these people came around. Okay? But Jesus didn't allow their um, uh, he, he, he was willing to love them, but to be committed to his forever family at the same time, right? To those who want, who's my family? Who's the most important people in the sense? Those who know and do the will of God. So we're gonna end with some prayer. I'm gonna ask some of our leaders to come up here right now. Uh, uh, maybe um, some of our staff, few of our small group leaders. Uh, here comes uh, Alex and, and Alyssa. Uh, um, Aaron, uh, Trisha, Sherwin, a few others, people that are involved in our ministry. And we just want to close in prayer. Who's coming up? Well, if you're a mom or a dad in this room and you'd like some prayer, maybe you're the best mom and dad in the world. Okay, that's great. But maybe you'd like some prayer to continue. Uh, you don't have to say anything. You just need to say your name. My name is uh, Mary, John, uh, whoever your name is. That's all they need to know. And give them 30 seconds to pray for you. Maybe you're one of these three to five additional people right now. You're that coach. You're that small group leader. You're that apprentice leader. You're that encourager, whether it's within the confines of this church or your you're, you're fellowship of athlete, Christian athletes leader. I don't know. You're, you're making a difference in being one of those three, four, or five voices in the life of a student. We want to pray for you. Or last, you're someone who says, I'm not in the game at all right now, but I'd like to be. I'm just going to come up and, and, and pray. So we're just going to take a couple minutes and we're done. But we want to end with prayer. Pray for you. So come up here. Everyone else stay seated. And we'll take a few minutes and pray and be done. Let's pray.